0: Welcome back to the Midtown Madness podcast. Peter Hale, Zach Miller, and a and a very very special uh, third man in Ross Schaeffitz, joining us on the show as a uh, special guest host uh, for the for the evening. Ross, good to have you on the show, man.
1: Thanks, Zach. Good to see you guys again.
0: Yeah, we we missed you at the game. Uh, we heard uh, we heard your uh, your your dad wasn't uh, had a little touch of bronchitis. Feeling better? Yeah, he's
1: uh, he's doing better now. Yeah, it just would have been a tough go, and he's not. He's trying not to be around others when he's sick. But um, unfortunately, we weren't able to be there. It was a good one, but uh, I'll be out there again soon. Try to get back to shape. It's the atmosphere was electric. It looked like on Saturday.
0: Yeah, you missed sitting next to uh, Colonel Sanders and his chickens.
1: <laughs> that was hilarious, and it's funny. The first couple minutes of the game, I was looking at courtside, half the side of the court was empty, and I'm thinking. Gosh, where is everybody? And then the chickens come stumbling in with Colonel Sanders himself. <laughs> uh,
2: that was great. Yeah, my son loved that. He was he was into it once he saw that.
1: I
0: think uh, I think all the uh, like I I, I want to say like half the people in the arena didn't realize that that wasn't like a put on thing by the athletic department. Like it wasn't part of the show. It was just the the four guys that do this every time.
1: Yeah, and they're notorious. I mean, once a year they come out with some funky costumes. I think last year they did like a Mario Luigi type of enactment. I don't know, uh, but good for them. Keeps it entertaining, right?
0: Yeah. No. And and speaking of entertaining, um, how I mean, in a way, you want to call it entertaining, uh, the George Mason game, uh, going back to Wednesday, man, um, uh, a double overtime thriller. Uh, and I think we just call this one, the Uri Collins game.
2: I think it's going to be known as that forever. I mean, this is easily one of the best performances I've ever seen by a slew player. I I think you got to put it up there with like Larry Hughes at Marquette. Uh, there's not many other games. I think Bonner had a 40, 20 game once. Um, but, but this is definitely up there with, with those 35 points is, uh, is tied for 16th most in slew history. And then he happens to put on a a, a top five all time assist game with that, with thirteen assists. Um, just an incredible usage rate and all around performance by Yuri.
0: What did you see in that one from from Yuri uh, Ross? Just a different. He, he was on a different level.
1: He was, and he just stepped it up to a pace that others couldn't keep up with. I mean, he truly took the game over, especially in overtime. I mean, he was a man on a mission and and no one could stop him. And, you know, it's funny. I saw things floating around on Twitter quotes from Yuri talking about the, you know, that, that watch list that he wasn't included on and he was talking about how it didn't get to him. But I think that's a load of crap. I mean, he was playing with such attitude and, and such energy. I couldn't help but think that was in the back of his mind the whole time. And, you know, not only in Mason game, it clearly carried through to Dayton as well. But what a performance by yuri I mean, you could see it in his eyes. And you know, one of the things I liked about it is he's, start, he's starting to show a little energy, a little heart. And you're seeing his passion. You know, in the past, he was kind of just deadlocked, not a lot of emotion. But it's starting to come through. And I, I like that in Yuri. I think he's getting a little bit of that from Nesbitt maybe.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny you mention that because one of the last additions to the notes I just made was, um, and I guess we can even talk about it more in the Dayton game. But this team is really playing with a, a really hard edge right now. Um, they're they're walking with a lot of swagger. They're they're embracing that villain role a little bit more, I think. And I think it it, it really is being rubbed off of uh, of, of Nesbit to the entire team. And if that's the kind of team, like that's the te- kind of team I want the Billikins to be. And if Nesbitt is going to keep bringing that energy and that edge, and that's going to be our identity for the next four years, I'm all for it. It's going to be a, a great ride. Yeah, I think we had a lot
2: of that edge with Goodwin and French for four seasons. I think we kind of got used to that. The Those are two pretty tough, gritty players. Um, Goodwin, obviously, a lot more vocal and everything. But, uh, yeah, if if they're bringing that back, I mean, you're you're right. That's not something we've really seen a ton from them so far. Um, but Yuri's confidence right now is off the charts. I mean, the way he's played in these last two games, and I don't know how much of that is a chip on his shoulder from kind of being left out of that national conversation. I look at that watch list. Those are the guys who are like, they were like the five stars coming out of high school. You know, it's, it's not that that watch list to me was not rewarding the guys who are necessarily playing the best point guard basketball in college right now. It really felt like we think these are the best pro prospects or something like that. Um, but if if that's what it takes to give Yuri a chip on his shoulder, I, I just I can't believe the confidence he's playing right now. And one of the things about his game earlier in the season that kind of made me nervous is when he tried to do too much of the scoring himself. But that's kind of worked out for us lately. I don't know what you guys see in that. I don't necessarily mind a lot of these shots he's taking now. He's uh, he's finishing at a pretty high rate.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I love his his confidence and his willingness to pull up for the occasional three. I mean, I think that's something that we saw sort of sporadically out of him over the last couple of years, but now he's shooting it with confidence uh, and it's dropping at a relatively significant rate. And so to be able to not only spread the floor with another shooter, of course, but for the defense to have to keep Yuri honest as a shooter, not only a, a pass maker, but a shooter uh, is changing the attitude of the team um, and the makeup of the team. Um, and not only from three-point range. I mean, you're seeing him kind of pull up from the elbow. I think, you know, there's probably a series of three or four games in a row now where um, Yuri has had his, the ball in his hands at the end of the first half. And every time he's pulling up from three or driving to the hoop or pulling up from the elbow, and he's made a good amount of those shots. And so his confidence, to your point, Pete, is through the roof, uh, and it's creating a whole new dimension of scoring for the team.
0: He's always been a guy who's you know five foot you know ten six feet tall, and uh, but walks like he's like the tallest guy in the room. Um, he walks like he's got he's got the biggest muscles in the room. He is he he is uh, the he's an alpha. He really is just in the way he carries himself on and off the court. I think, and he's done that since he arrived on campus.
2: He's always been tough as nails. Um, I, I watched his career pretty closely at St. Mary's, not that I could actually make it to many games, but uh, watched as much tape as I could and, and, and really tracked what he was doing game to game, uh, not to mention his time in AAU as well. And he's never been a guy who shows any fear whatsoever. Um, it's just that he's taking it to another level right now. Um, so, so yeah, you're both right about his toughness, but to see him be as, as vocal um as he's been as you mentioned and then it, it, it is interesting ross when you talk about those last second shots at the end of halves or at the end of uh end of a game um when you've got a pure point guard like collins like that and we've got some good shooters and playmakers on the wings i i almost always want to see a pass made to get as good a shot as possible before the half goes i i don't necessarily like the trend of guys just hanging on to it uh themselves I mean I guess it does cut down on chances for you know turnovers or um you know I guess they can control the clock a little bit more if they keep it in their hands but still um and yet here he is taking those shots and hitting them whether he's driving or whether he's pulling up from three so whatever he's doing I mean keep doing it
1: he he, and I think it's I, I think the other thing that's worth noting is the amount of control and composure that he's playing with it feels like he's really limited the turnovers. At the beginning of the season, there was a point at which I felt he was trying to force a lot, maybe because he, he kind of knew that, you know, Javante was no longer around and he was trying to, to open up uh, opportunities for other players. But now he, he seems to know where everybody's going to be. Um, he's, he's not forcing a lot. It feels as if he's, he's uh, limited the turnovers, which, uh, you know, obviously is adding a whole nother level of efficiency to the way that he plays.
0: Yeah, I mean, he and he, he had to step up in that way in that George Mason game. I mean, you look at the numbers that, you know, well, Jimerson only played 10 minutes in the first half because of fouls. Uh, and then the big men had foul trouble. Um, Linson and Okoro were both out of the game and didn't play in overtime. So um, you've really you've really minimized our scoring punch there. And 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 uh, Colin just said, I'll take it. I'll, I'll put it on my shoulders.
2: It is pretty incredible to wind up. Uh, I mean, thirty-five points aside, if you can put those aside, uh, thirteen assists uh, without Jimerson. Uh, the in the second part of the first half, and honestly, Jimerson in the second half. Um, you know, I'd have to go back and watch more, like uh, you know, how he was guarded and everything. But he was certainly not getting the looks he wanted. He wasn't necessarily himself. He did not score. Once he came back in second half, both overtimes, all eight of his points were in that first ten minutes before he got his second foul. Um, so, so for Yuri to have th- thirteen assists still without his number one weapon, um, uh, hitting is is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, when you add up Yuri's eleven field goals with his thirteen assists, uh, you know that's twenty four out of our thirty one field goals that he either scored or assisted on. Um, just an incredible amount of offense running through the guy in this one.
0: At, at minimum, he had, he contributed directly to, let's say, 13 assists, conservatively is 26 points. 35 points scored. That's 50, 61 points right. uh, of 90. So, yeah. I mean, over two thirds at least. Well, of and, the points and, and, were directly and most of the rest, to the rest is pretty yeah. yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I, well, I mean, yeah. So he directly contributed to, to nearly get over two thirds of our points. So just incredible. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's, it truly was, uh, a sight to behold. Um, I think the, the turning point in overtime really was, uh, actually it, it the turning point to me, not only the Yuri, Yuri asserting himself, but was also the, the defensive play of both Hargrove and Thatch. I thought that was just a, a you know, a, and putting Thatch on him was a masterstroke of genius by Travis Ford, I thought.
1: I, I, w- I would agree with that. And I think um, I think Travis redeemed himself a bit in that in that call to put Fred on uh, Oduro, because frankly, I didn't understand at the end of regulation, I I figured he would have given Traore a little bit of run just to preserve Linson and Okoro a little bit. And, you know, Traore could have been a guy that would have come off the bench, you know, no fouls, could have played real rough against Oduro. I'm surprised he didn't. Um, And, you know, in overtime, it was clear that Traore was getting pretty much eaten alive. You know, we were down by five or six points at one point. Um, you know, so, so Travis threw Hargrove on him, which, um, you know, it was an okay play call. I think Hargrove maybe had a block or two, uh, yeah. but I don't think he could keep up with the physicality. But when Fred was matched up with him, it brought a whole level of effectiveness because we all know how Fred plays. He's a bulldog and damn, is he strong. And so to put a guy like him on Adoro, who, by the way, has the highest vertical on the team, as I understand it, Fred Thatch, was a really, really brilliant stroke of, of genius coaching by by Travis, in my opinion.
0: And he was, you know, it, he was banking on the fact that Adoro really doesn't handle the ball all that well. He is a little, one of Adoro's biggest weaknesses is handling the ball. One of Fred's strengths, not only his vertical, is his quick hands and his ability to be down low and kind of swipe that ball away. And, and eventually that was, that was the game right there. was Fred Thatch stealing it from Oduro.
2: Oduro is an awesome player. He's a huge matchup problem for our whole team. I I, I like his game a lot. I, th- I think you're right. He does have some stuff he's got to work on. He looks like a legit pro prospect to me. He's possibly the conference uh, player of the year. Um, if, if he keeps playing the way he does, Uh, so there are no good answers. I agree. It's not a great matchup for a trial once both our other bigs went out. Uh, I think TJ did fine on him those, those first few minutes that he was on him. But again, that's not an assignment you want to leave for a 10 minute stretch or anything like that. Um, and Odoro, I mean, 32.6 rebounds, three assists, two blocks. He still got plenty done against us. Um, but yeah, when it, when it came time to close the game, and I, I did not feel good about overtime or double overtime with both of our big men out. Um, I, I think you're right. Ford does deserve a lot of credit for figuring out a way to squeeze this one out um, between him and Yuri Collins. They, uh, they got it done.
1: And I think if Mason can find a way to add a little bit more endurance to Adoro's game, I think they can be yeah. a threat in the a 10 tournament because I mean, really, I believe in my heart of hearts, the reason we were able to pull that game off in overtime is because Adoro was just totally winded and totally exhausted. I mean, he was he was relatively ineffective at the free throw line, um, especially in double overtime. And when it came to the back and forth between Yuri and Adoro, um, that's where Yuri shined. He clearly is well conditioned. He went 47 minutes and could have looked like he would have gone 10 or 15 more. And Adoro just couldn't handle that. If they can add some more wind to his game, I think he'll be an especially dangerous player.
2: You know, a couple points in there. One is the, the free throw shooting. I think Mason did play us pretty smart. Um, you know, I, I was, I was definitely not thrilled with the officiating. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think we deserved an 11 foul disparity. I think we had 30 and they had 19, but they were smart about kind of taking it at us down the stretch. They did get our bigs to bite on some stupid stuff. Um, you know, and obviously fouled both of them out at around the eight minute mark and four minute mark. Um, so, uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was one of those where I, I wasn't happy and talked to a couple of friends, Tim and Joe, after the game, who kind of, you know, uh, illustrated that a little bit more for me. Um, so Mason did play that well. Uh, I, I got to give him credit there. And then the other thing, uh, you, you're right. Uh, uh, Mason could be a threat in the A-10 tournament. And I think not just that if they get smart about how to, uh, to keep Oduro fresh, They've got some really nice other pieces out there. That uh, Cooper had 22 points on five of 11, three points shooting against us. And Gaines was everywhere. That dude had 17 rebounds to go with 12 points. Uh, Schwartz is a nice player. who we, we, we shut down a little bit better than those two, but um, we had problems with more than just Oduro. I think one thing Mason is missing is they, they just don't have much of a bench. Um, two points, two bench points in this game. But I was really impressed with their starting five. Um, but that's good to know if we if we get into another overtime slugfest with these guys, um, you know, we can wear them down.
0: I think uh, I think uh, you mentioned Gaines and, and Gaines did a, a, a good job on Jimmerson. Um, you know, Jimerson just never got into a rhythm in this one. Um, didn't, you know, with that, that 10 minutes out, you know, you come in the second half cold and uh, that's tough. At the end of the game, uh, did, Ross, did you see Kim English's postgame comments? I didn't. Um, so essentially he basically said, all you have to do is get in his face, be, be athletic and long and, and you can stop Jimmerson. Basically Kim English putting his foot in his mouth when it comes to, uh, talking about St. Louis university. Um, you know, are the comments from when he played at Mizzou where he said, oh, we, I, I like Slew, they're like our little brother. And, and so he's, he's got, uh, there's a little beef there. Um, what what do you think of that i mean to to completely discredit a guy who's point one point off the leading score in the in the conference i i don't i mean i don't get that
1: you know I think it was their game plan and I think they did it effectively, but i think it i think it hurt them in the long run i think One of the things that that I've recognized over the last, you know, maybe five to 10 games is the opposing team's game plan is essentially coming down to one of two options, in my opinion, shut down Jimerson or shut down Uri. And they can choose to shut down Jimerson to eliminate our highest scoring player. But then they leave so many options open for Yuri, and, and, and the field is essentially wide open for him. And so that's what I mean when I when I guess I say it backfired a bit by locking in so much on, on Jimerson and taking him down from, you know, 18 points a game, or whatever he was averaging to eight points a game that unlocked a, a, a whole playing field for Yuri, And it created uh, such efficiency for him. Uh, and he was a- able to go off because of that. And so, you know, it's easy for a, a coach like English to make those comments after the fact. At the end of the day, the strategy didn't work. We won the game. So um, he can eat that. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that I feel that I've recognized is, is when the strategy becomes eliminate Gibson-Jimmerson, it opens up a lot for the rest of the team.
2: I think it's also a strategy that maybe earlier in the season would have paid off more than it is now. Um, you know, if you're scouting this team, you don't necessarily know Yuri Collins is about to have the best week of his life. You know, like it's not just that, like you said, they're, they're creating more opportunities for him. He's bringing a little bit more to it as well. A little bit more confidence, um, a little bit more willingness to shoot. Um, those are things they probably weren't quite counting on as well. So, um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad strategy. I think Dayton has thrown that at us twice and it did work once, um, in Dayton, but, Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's entirely wrong. And I know English has to come up with ways to, to, to motivate his guys and make them feel, you know, like, like they can beat anybody. Um, but, uh, but I, 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 think we, we probably are a little bit more dynamic than we get credit for, um, especially with, uh, you know, Linson returning to the lineup, who's more of an offensive threat than, than our other bigs as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that wraps up this one. Um, either of you got anything left uh, on this one? Mm All right. Um, moving on to the Archbaron cup, uh, 72 61 win, uh, yesterday afternoon versus Dayton. Um, this one, uh, when the fake rivalry turns into a real rivalry, um, uh, we've ba- like since the pod to the A10 podcast, I guess, like rev- revolution started. Uh, we've essentially gaslit both fan bases and coaching staffs and players into believing this. Like, I mean, it, truthfully, there is a rivalry there, but it has, it has been, they have been gaslit into this being a heated rivalry. And it's pretty incredible over the last three years to watch.
2: It has. And I, I can't tell you now how many people have kind of like asked me about like the Arch Baron Cup being like, this is a thing I should know about, but I, I can't believe <laughs> I don't know. Th- I haven't known the name in so more recent years. I don't really get it. And it's, of course, it's got its own fake history and, and, and everything. And I, I love it. it. It was, like you said, completely wheeled into existence and people are really picking up on it. And I have to think that this game uh, is is, it really feels like the first true legendary arch baron cup kind of slugfest i mean maybe i'm only seeing that from sluice perspective because we've lost the last five and they've, they've been mostly close and you know two of those were to that like that 29 and 2 ob top and team um but uh but this one feels like a real classic that people are going to remember for a long time
1: it, it is and, and and it has to be i mean um You know, you you talk about sort of key moments in the rivalry, you know, one that I think about was the Jalen Crutcher shot a couple of years back at Its Arena when Dayton came in, I think 13 in the country, keep me honest there Uh, and Crutcher put up that shot from way behind the three point line with with zero to no time left. That was a moment uh, that, you know, you talked about sort of the viewpoint from the slew fan base. I think from Dayton's perspective, that was the point where they felt like, okay, this makes sense. This is a rivalry. We hate these guys. And that was their moment. And now, you know, the last Dayton game at at Dayton to me was, uh, there there wasn't a key moment that sort of reignited the rivalry, if you will. And this game, I felt the same way until something happened with about 90 seconds left. And I'll let you guys maybe pick up on that. But that was the moment that the Dayton fan base got, extremely heated.
0: Yeah, we're going to get to that one. Um, But first of all, the, the Harewood horse trophy, uh, the fan vote, it's going to Martin Linson in this one. Uh, What do you guys think of the fans choice uh, with Martin Linson as as the Harewood horse winner?
2: Yeah, I think it's a fine choice. I mean, uh, you know, he, he was, he's the leading scorer and the thing about him in this game is he kind of looked like himself again for the first time, like he's been playing under a minute restriction. He's been playing um, hurt, you know, not fully himself and even, even if he's not 100% and who knows if he will be for the rest of his playing career, which is just you know, college playing career, which is just going to be the next couple months here. Um, it still looks like he was able to do all of the things that he normally does. And of course he gives you a perfect Martin Linson game in 19 minutes. He's got 17 points, five of five from the field. And then he's drawing, he's drawing fouls as well and goes seven of eight for the line, just, which is just beautiful. Um, he's not a big rebounder. We all know that. Um, it's, it's, it's fine, but uh, he really got it done offensively. And he and Yuri have great chemistry, um, I think Yuri said after the game or maybe even before the game on this one, um, he said, if, if Linson's out there, he knows I'm going to find him. So I, I just, I, I kind of love the the combination there. And yeah, I, I like this pick of course.
1: And I think, you know, the other dimension that Linson adds is, is floor leadership. Um, you know, Yuri is the one guy who's always loud. And I don't mean literally loud, but he commands the floor. When you think about who the, who the Billiken leader is. And when Linson's out there, I mean, he's he's a presence and he's speaking, he's communicating to the team, uh, calling out the opposition. Um, and that's a game changer. And to your point, Pete, the chemistry between him and Yuri is incredibly evident. I mean, Yuri passes him open in ways that I've never seen before. Um, you know, it, 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 it really diversifies the way that we can play through our bigs. Linson and Koro Akoro are both incredibly efficient but in unique and different ways. And it creates a very tough uh, matchup uh, from an opposition perspective, but I love the way that he and Yuri can sort of uh, collaborate with one another on the floor. It's, it's really pretty to watch. And, and as I mentioned, you know, they create plays that even on replays, I, I, I watch it and I'm like, how, how does Yuri see that? Um, so it, it's just, it's very fun. It's, it's, that's how I would summarize it. It's fun to watch. Yuri and Linson have an incredible chemistry.
0: Yeah, they're they're always inventive passes. He always comes up with a new way to find Linson. It's it's like I don't think I've ever seen anyone make the pass he made, where uh, and, and they gushed about it on on the broadcast. By the way, full marks to the broadcast team for doing that game remote. I I watched I rewatched it this morning, and I do like it's got to be the most difficult thing in the world to like to call a game remotely i swear to god um but they gushed about that pass where he found i don't even know how to describe how he found him but he found him over the top of a guy it was just it was it was crazy it was like a post pass but it was him finding him under the hoop it was insane
2: it's, not, it's just not a pass that you expect a, a player to make you know even when you've got um uh the guy the, the post player's got good position and you know you've got a passer like yuri who knows how to find people you just you never expect him to make that kind of pass it was it was great
1: yeah and linson as we all know is 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 not the biggest center you're going to find in the a10 or, or elsewhere um but he's complemented very well by a fred thatch or a terrence hargrove um and and it, it's fun to watch you know uh, they're great rebounders, and, and they clean up slop. Although I will say Linson has been incredibly efficient from the floor. His field goal percentage is outstanding. Uh, but for a couple of plays where where Fred was right under the hoop rebounding, sort of cleaning up, uh, and it's great to see um, him, for example, as a complement to a Linson. Adds to that to that, uh, to that that size deficit that we may experience when we have Linson on the floor, because I think he is a smaller center. I want to say he's maybe 6'8". Does that sound right? 6'7"?
0: yeah he's he's much uh, he's a kind of a, a Hassan French size almost, uh, yeah. but but much more efficient. Um, I, we talked a little bit about the the atmosphere in this one. Schaitz was absolutely rocking. Uh, it felt like 2012 to 2015 again, it felt it really felt like like Shafitz was back to where it, it it could be. We knew it could be.
2: Yeah, official attendance was uh, 9,411, so not quite a turnout or a, a sellout, but uh, a really nice turnout, um, huge student turnout, and then, you know, the whole Billiken Blizzard theme, everybody in white kind of adds another element to it. I thought in the first half, um, at least it played this way on TV, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong what it was like in the building, but it didn't sound that loud on TV, uh, it, it, but the, that first half had no flow to it. I mean, the refs really, uh, they were calling it tight in, in stretches, and there was never really a, a time where we were putting together a big run, right? I mean, it, it kind of felt like Dayton would get close. We'd hit a couple shots. We just kind of went, and once we took that uh, 9-0 run to take the lead, we never gave it up, but they always kind of stayed at arm's distance. And uh, it was really a a, a gritty defensive first half, I thought. So I could kind of see why the crowd was quiet, but they really lit up in the second half.
1: But, you know, I think, Pete, that's that's a a, a positive reflection on the Billikens and really the sign of a good team. I mean, we led that game, with the exception of the Dayton three-pointer to open it up, we led that game truly wire to wire. Um, And, you know, I, I would say, you know, just shooting from the hip here, we were up by at least eight, nine or 10 points for probably 70 or 80 percent of the game. And and um, th- the sign of a great team that I was just reflecting on every time Dayton pinched it back to five or six points, we went on a little mini run and extended it back to 10 or 11 and kept Dayton on their heels just enough to sort of uh, settle them down emotionally. And they just never got in the groove that we saw them in when we were at Dayton a couple weeks back.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. The def- I, th- I said the defense in this game was just excellent from, um, f- from start to finish. I-, I thought there were some, there were definitely some moments of defensive lapses. A few times we didn't get back uh, in transition. Uh, Kobe, Elvis hit a couple threes in a row in transition. Um, but for the most part, this team really, really defended well this whole game. And I, th- I think that's kind of the cause for that. You- you're going to have stretches where you're not making shots, as we had a couple in the first half. Um, but the defense never really went through a prolonged period where I thought the effort wasn't there. They were really amped up to play defense in this game.
0: Yeah. I don't think the defense was the problem. What I really saw was, uh, rebounding was a problem. I thought that was where Dayton was scoring a lot of points off of either, uh, poor position. I don't even know if it was poor positioning or just unlucky bounces as we've talked about now three weeks in a row. So maybe we're leaning towards poor positioning at this point. Um, and then also uh, like turnovers uh, or not not necessarily turnovers or like, you know, uh, ill-advised shots, I guess, or ill-advised attempts at shots. You know, you had a couple times in that first half where uh, I think one of them, Jimerson, tried to attack the basket. He may have had Fred Thatch open. Um, and they he got blocked and and they went the other yeah. way and came down and scored. So really, the defense was there. I felt like it was lapses on the other end that turned into Dayton buckets
2: yeah i I think that's true. I think shot selection does kind of still need some work, and you hope that's the kind of thing. Watch a little video of this game um and realize there's not a whole lot you guys need to clean up to really make this this game a laugher from 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 an early you know point. Um, so I, I, I agree with that completely. I don't think turnovers were a big problem here. Um, Uri did have six of them. Um, but we only had 11 as a team and Dayton only had eight. And that that's, I mean, that's not many turnovers in a game at all. So I thought it was fairly clean from that perspective. Um, but yeah, you're right. Rebounding and shot selection definitely needed, uh, needed some work here.
0: Yeah. Um, Kobe Elvis, uh really uh gave us trouble again um this was the, this was the guy that, that played well at, at the game at ud arena and once again he uh he showed that he he may have our number
1: especially that sequence uh, sorry to cut you off pete but it's, oh, especially God. that sequence in the second half where i think it was he who hit those back-to-back threes that was the only point in the game where Uh, I kind of had to check myself a little bit and I felt nervous. Um, But, um, you know, Kobe, I think has a couple more years in him and and he's a player. Um, I will say, though, without those threes, uh, those back to back threes, his stats don't look as impressive. But he I think he is the threat. And if we meet Dayton in the A-10 tournament, I think he's the guy whose number we've we've got to have and we've got to lock down. It feels like the offense runs through them, runs through him uh, when when Dayton gets good wins.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. You know, Soli told us before we played up at Dayton that this is a team that likes to shoot a lot of threes. They only shot 13 in this game. Um, and I'd like to think that's because Slew did a pretty good job taking the, the perimeter away from them. Um, but they did find it open in transition a few times. Um, he was the only guy on their their team that had double digits and he had 20 points. He also, the thing that I think, uh, you, you know, not to overlook this is the second game in a row where he did a really nice job on Jimerson defensively. Um, He had that assignment most of the game and we could say all we want about him, you know, grabbing, tugging, hacking, whatever he does, he does stay on Jimerson, like his shadow. And uh, if the refs are not, are going to give him a little, a little leash uh, to be a little physical with him, then uh, you can see why he takes it. So I, I do, I have been pretty impressed with his game on both ends of the floor and um, I think Dayton has some other talent, um, some pretty good shooters on this team that we, we just didn't see much of them this game. Um, the rest of the, the, the team managed to be fairly anonymous in this one. I thought Holmes was, was solid again, but, um, but he was obviously a lot better when we played him there.
0: Yeah, um, I, I want to talk about Collins in this one. Um, well, actually, I want to talk about key plays uh plays that stood out to to me in this game uh there were two plays and one is the broken down play that ended up in a jimerson three-pointer yeah. and then one was yuri collins block uh which may have been the most amazing block i've ever seen and and that includes uh Jordair jets block at gw that he sent into the fifth row um and there was what there was a grab block i think where one of uh, one of our guys i can't remember who it was that's that this may have been the top five on the mount rushmore of Billiken blocks and then the third one i think is the nesbit dunk and that really was kind of the exclamation point uh how how amazing did did that did that block play on tv the way it played in the arena
2: it really did i mean it, it, it's one of those things where it, he kind of blocked it with both arms right or he mm-hmm. he had both arms at least in motion um but uh yeah i mean i i thought it was great i thought it was great the other thing was it early in the second half or late in the first half yuri finished at the basket and just screamed in uh uh in smith's face do i do i have that right he was under the basket. Um, and it it was, we talk about him being more vocal and, and he really just, just roared. He like grabbed the ball from him or something. I, I, whatever the play was under the basket. Um, that's one where I really noticed him being vocal in a way that I just am not used to. Uh, so that stood out to me as well.
1: And Zach, the play you mentioned, the broken play, I think in this second half, uh, with, with Yuri on the floor, TJ on the floor, and then the ball ends up popping over to, to Gibson and he pulls up for the three. I saw a, fun, a funny comment, I'm not sure, might have been on Twitter, maybe on Billikins.com. Somebody, somebody made a post alluding to, wow, that was the one play I feel like I see every week in college basketball. Some team pulls it off, broken play that ends up in a wide open three, and it's never happened that way for the Billikens. And uh, just a beautiful stroke by Gibson, and that was the moment where I was like, okay, the Billikins are hot today. Um, and, and, you know, it was great for Gibson. It was great for the team. There was a key shot by, by TJ, though, you mm, know, and, yeah. and, and, and one of the things I, you know, I want to get your guys' opinion on is TJ's been relatively quiet over the last couple of weeks. And that's primarily due to, I think, the, fish, the efficiency of, of Fred Thatch. Um, but it seemed to have eaten at a, at a bit of TJ's confidence. We've seen some big threes from him, though, in the last couple of games, games. And, and that was a point, especially when TJ hit a big three from the wing at the Dayton game. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on on the efficiency of, of TJ and what you've seen over over the last couple of games from him.
2: Yeah, well, we we've talked about that a little bit on the show the last couple of weeks, just how his he's definitely been in a slump. He was a, a really efficient three point shooter heading into I don't know when the, the 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 first I'd have to look at his game log to see when it fell off about five or so games ago, um, maybe six, and you can't, can't find his shot either inside or out since then. Um, But you're right. He has hit one big three in the past two games. Um, But he also, he's made some other plays in this one. Like I I don't want to just make it all about his three point shooting. What, what I like about this game is he looked a little uh, down on himself in some previous games, whether it was, I want to say UMass GW, a couple of these games where he just like, just, couldn't find a shot couldn't finish things you know loose balls weren't coming his way getting unlucky on whistles um i didn't see that at all in the Dayton game every minute he was out there he played like the like the tj we're used to high energy um getting good stops making big plays diving after loose balls doing exact bringing exactly the energy that we need from him so um the fact that he hits that three i think is just it's crucial for the confidence he has in his shot but what's more important to me is that I see him bringing the demeanor and the energy and the effort that we're used to back. And, Zach, I don't know if you see it the same way or not.
0: Yeah, you just miss that personality. That personality, when he loses his confidence a little bit, I think he loses his personality. And and that happy-go-lucky nature is what makes him him. And, uh, and when he has that, he plays well. When he feels good, he plays good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just want to see him – him be happy and not not so much worried about how he's playing because when he stops worrying about how he's playing and we're and just is in a good mood i think he plays better yeah i think so he was
1: the key to that that not only that three but that broken play that ended yes. up in, in Jefferson's yeah. hands
0: absolutely um we talked about linson um okoro is a guy that i thought uh, had some really sneaky um, good plays in this one. Uh, I think one of his biggest criticisms is he, he, they, I think he's been described as a black hole in the post for the ball. Um, the ball goes in the post he's, he's going up we everybody knows it in the gym. Uh, I don't I think he found uh, he was either Williams or Jones. He found uh, he kicked it out one hand pass. And it was a beautiful pass. Um, and I just don't think he got enough credit around the Twitter sphere and the message board for that.
2: I agree with that. He only attempted three shots in this game, made two of them. Um, and I don't want to say like good. I like that, do that more. like that's not it at all. you know, obviously I want everybody scoring as much as they can. but I think he recognized um, that that Holmes is a is a is a tough matchup. Okoro, as good as he is, he's not exactly. Um, he doesn't have Linson's post moves. You saw that 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 Yuri pass to Linson, where he just in motion spun like three sixty left handed layup, finished, just really smooth old school on the ground, big man game. Okoro is just he's a lot more deliberate with the ball. He doesn't have that that um, fluidity. In the post, and I think a guy with uh, with Holmes's shot blocking ability, his length, his athleticism, um, it's a tough matchup for El Coro. And I think in this game he recognized that, and I, I really think that shows development um, that we we haven't seen yet from him.
1: And that's kind of the next dimension of our offense that I'm looking for, to the extent El Coro can get much more effective at kicking the ball out from under when he's double teamed. You know, he's such a commanding, you know, physical force, if you will. He's so well, at re- he's so good at rebounding. He's so long that he he commands that double team. And if he can start to get really efficient at kicking that out at the appropriate time to guys like Williams, to guys like Gibson, to guys like Jones, you know, that's when we're going to become super efficient from three. Um, so that's what I would love to see in terms of, you know, offensive developments over the next couple of weeks going into the a 10 tournament. I think that can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see. I mean, it's there. It's not often that I am able to to notice just improvement, but Okoro really has shown uh, a ton of improvement uh, from when he got here. Uh, and I thought his spin move to the basket was just amazing too. I didn't know he had that in his repertoire either. So um, yeah, I I, I think uh, I I I just I I think this team's really embracing the bad guy role. And I love it. I love it. And, and we'll, and I think, you know, it, it's rubbing off on uh, the alumni a little bit. Um, uh, Pete, I, I, I'm curious what i actually, I'm curious about what both of you guys saw on TV in the moment, um, and, and what your reaction was. And then I can, I, I didn't see exactly what happened, but I think I have a decent timeline in my head at this point. Um, But what did you guys see at home? And did you notice anything right away before the whistles started going and everything?
2: Right away, I didn't. Um, So I I knew that no one was there and the ball kind of bounced. So obviously, we're talking about the aftermath of Nesbitt's dunk with about, what was it, 137 left, something like that. Um, Nesbitt dunks the ball, and man, was that cathartic for him. He had a rough game. This was not his best game. He always brings the energy, effort, hustle plays. And we got some of that out of him. But, uh, but he, I think he was 0 for 5 at the time and uh, had spent most of the second half on the bench. And, and it, it just wasn't his game. Uh, that dunk seemed to just, you know, release the demons for him. I mean, he was he was basically danced all the way down to the other end of the floor. He was on cloud nine. I was really focused on him because how often do you have to keep your eye on the ball <laughs> uh after a dunk it doesn't matter it's going to be collected it's going to be inbounded. it it doesn't matter so I wasn't paying attention to that at all and and really the cameras weren't in real time either it was quite some time before they gave us anything resembling a replay and 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 even then I had to go back and watch the broadcast later to really see what had happened after some of uh you know some of what transpired after that I don't know if it was the same for you Ross
1: yeah, I felt the same way. I mean, the the play occurred so, so quickly. And to your point, all the attention was on Nesbitt. And so it was unclear as to what had unfolded. And, and, you know, it seemed that there was a bit of confusion in terms of the broadcast until it got locked in on Anthony Grant and he, there was fire and fury and hate in his eyes. And all I could think to myself was, Oh gosh, some, you know, something terrible must've happened. Right. Um, but man, did he look pissed off. And and I get it. You know, you're, you're a coach of a big team going into a hostile environment. You want to stick up for your guys, but you know, from his perspective, his point of view, it, to me, it, it wasn't very evident that he could have possibly known what had happened. And I think, you know, there was a video that circulated on Twitter from I think just lobs or one of those accounts yeah. Yeah. that kind of peeled back the layers of what did happen. And, you know, to me, it was, not justified at all the reaction that, that grant, uh, you know, showcased, I guess, Zach, to answer your original question, no, it wasn't very evident from the broadcast. It felt as though something much worse had happened. I think, I think it was just evidence of Dayton really getting caught up in the moment, uh, in a game that they were frustrated with. I think that they would have argued there were a lot of bad calls against them in the second half. Uh, but man, was there hate in Grant's eyes at that moment? Oh,
2: yeah he, he was he was really fired up
0: yeah it was it was intense man and i i i just I, the whole thing is weird because uh jets down there Jordair jet so we we actually even haven't said that uh, the two people involved in this the fan which is funny that people are calling him a fan it's Jordair right. jet <laughs> like he Fe- put some yeah. respect on his name like yeah. what are we doing um no, so Jordan Jet sitting with Mama Jet. Shout out Mama Jet uh, underneath the basket, <laughs> and mom, his mom just sitting there is the funniest thing ever. While he's while he's jawing at, at Dayton, like so, the ball goes out of bounds, and, and the confluence of how the ball bounced could never happen. I don't know if you if you noticed in the video, Jets up a right behind the photographer yelling, at whatever smack talk. And the ball lands between Jordair Jets midsection and the back of the photographer. So it's sitting, it's being cradled by these two men. And yeah. I'm guessing Jordair, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm guessing he just said, come get the ball. Like, that's literally what I would. Ex- like, if, if the ball lands where it landed near him, like, that's what, like, I, like, that's the thing, that's the joke I'm making is like, come get it. Like, like,
2: I don't know when in the brief moments that you actually see in the broadcast before it 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 cut away he's not paying attention to the ball at all it just kind of incidentally lands there and and Jordair is up on the like you said the back of the photographer and the ball lands at just the weirdest spot between them but he's not (laughs) paying he's not paying attention to it at all and I think at this point he like everybody else in the building is yelling for Nesbitt because that dunk what like it was it was an, inc- an incredible dunk for one, yeah. Uh, uh, two exercising, you know the de- the demons for Nesbit, and, and, and the Billikens in general. I thought Nesbit was just going to pop out of the gym, so I think Jet is feeling that energy. At that point, he's not yelling at Dayton necessarily. It's not until Smith rushes over and 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 he smith goes pretty deep for a player on the baseline you know to go after the ball then it's the second player i think elvis is the second player in and that's when all the other players and the coaches start coming over and by this point jet has backed up and he's kind of doing like the head tap thing so now he's talking at him but i don't think jet's intention was necessarily to like draw the date I, i you know prove me wrong if there's footage out there but i think I think it's all just kind of an unlucky bounce of the ball that actually turned it into a conflict. Um, I, yeah. I, and, you I know, think- I don't know
1: that, you know, Jordan Eyre had some words to say, but they were nothing overly aggressive or inappropriate. He was doing one of these and yeah. saying, when I'm right here, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, i on the video that I referenced, that was circulating. It was pretty clear that it was the Dayton player that was physically encroaching over the sideline onto jet unclear if it was you know with the intention of grabbing the ball or whatever but it was evident that the referees were physically pushing him back and I think probably what got Grant so heated up is when he came over to defuse the situation (laughs) I have a feeling that his players probably exaggerated or told a little bit of a white lie about what had truly happened and that's probably where the tempers flared a little bit Um, but it was very obvious to me that it was the Dayton player who was kind of stepping out of bounds to grab the ball and the referee had to sort of get him back into play and and resume the game.
2: I think probably after the ball landed where it did, I'm guessing Jet starts backing up and the ball goes down to the floor. Right, mm-hmm. so, the, so the now the ball's behind that row of photographers and nobody's giving it back to the player but who's paying attention to the ball at this point? Probably most people around there don't know it's even there and and Jet, you know, isn't bending down to pick it up or whatever. It, it was just a really awkward landing spot for it, I think, is what it comes down to. And Smith, obviously, like you said, he's frustrated at this point. Nothing's gone his way. He just wants to grab the ball, and it's it's back there somewhere. Um, yeah, just just, <laughs> I guess, kind of an unlucky bounce. But you know, Dayton fans are saying after the game that that Jordair put is pushing their players and stuff like that. And I mean, they're just like completely fabricating what happened. Um, and the the more time goes on, it becomes clear that there it really there wasn't a whole lot of there there um but but zach maybe you can uncover maybe you can sort of cover what happens to jet immediately after this uh this all goes down
0: you know that's funny because i don't know um i mean i know he got he he left right i know he went through the tunnel where i was sitting um and i, I i'm sure he just ended up in Zini's to have a beer. Or you know, you know, a, a Jack and Coke, whatever is whatever he's wanted to drink. Um, but really, like, I don't, because his mom didn't go with him. Um, no. His mom's <laughs> like, just... I'm gonna, I'm watching the game, yeah. man. Like, a minute. I, and did a and she I'm not? Like, I, I didn't realize that. No, <laughs> it was no. She stayed there. She's she's like, we had good seats. Right. Uh, I'm not leaving. Um, but I think uh, I think it's interesting the whole the whole situation. Uh, I'll get, I'll, I'll finish up with Jordan and then I'll talk about why it's interesting. Um, but no, I think like, I mean, I don't know if he was escorted out or asked. Like, I I don't think they were like already telling him like trying to get him to move. I don't think that was a thing. I think this was the whole crux of him moving. Um, and I, I think, I don't know if kicking him out is the right word, more or less like just appeasing Anthony Grant.
2: Yeah. let's get him out of there. Let's, let's get,
0: let's get let's get it over with let's finish the game we don't need anything else i mean you know we're in a post malice at the palace world um you have but to be honest like kicking him out or or escorting him out or may, having him leave was the best thing they could have done for the crowd the crowd popped oh, like it yeah. was a, like it was a pro wrestling event it was it was insane yeah but you know but,
1: you know shame, shame i hate to say this but Kind of shame on, on SLU for doing that in a moment where he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame. There's no there's no evidence of wrongdoing at that point. You know, the yeah. camera did pan to Janet, you know, having a discussion with Jordair, and presumably that was the point where she suggested or encouraged him to move or leave or or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I had saw on Twitter people were talking about, oh, he didn't really get kicked out. They just asked him to move seats. But, you know, if you look at Jordair's tweet, uh, he said something – and I have it right here. He said, never liked Dayton anyway. I beat the traffic, which, you know, <laughs> if you take that literally or you assume what he means, he was asked to leave, right? He left the arena. He beat the traffic. And, and left um, mama
0: jet there by herself.
1: Yeah. But, but, you know, <laughs> the irony of the whole thing is if, you you know, I think if you take the NCAA rule book, literally, a technical no. should have been called regardless on grant and the staff. Well, and not so, grant, not grant. No,
0: because technically I mean, you could make the case for grant that he was trying to defuse the situation. Okay. That's in the rule book, it says the head coach is the only, the, 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 only one that can leave the bench. Uh, if a, like it says if a fight breaks out or may break out and I, I would take that as a may breakout situation, uh, for sure. And Anthony grant leaving the bench that far, but, but, I, but,
1: Zach, I, but so the
0: excited. rest of the guys, there should have been five technicals called at least. But sorry, sorry to
1: intervene. I, I no, agree you're with you, but you can say, you know, if a fight were to break out, but every Billiken was at the Billiken bench. There was not a Billiken in this altercation, right? It was the Dayton huddle under the, under the hoop screaming at Jordair and whoever. So you can make the argument, Oh, a fight would have broken out, but a fight between who, because there wasn't a, a uniform Billiken in sight.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, Ford did a really good job of just corralling them around the slew bench. Uh, and I think he even put his back to the whole situation. So even after the game, they asked Ford about it. And he's like, I didn't even see it. I had my back to it. I don't know what happened. He just kind of
0: mm, like, yeah, uh, he, he, he's just, yeah.
2: just like, I, I have nothing to do with this. You guys, that's, that's, that's your problem. The, the um, crowd
0: but, egged on Jordair. I, I was guilty of it. Uh, I well, was egging him on.
2: Well, I mean, the fact that it's Jordair is crazy. Like oh. in, in, in most situations, this is just going to be some dude, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be Zach Miller. Fan. <laughs> yeah. oh god help us all
0: like uh, no good, like honestly, or colonel
1: sanders and the chickens I, <laughs>
0: yeah. honestly i gotta thank Jordan at the end of the day because uh i was i was ju- just as rowdy um and so i mean Jordan, uh you know taking the heat for forever i mean Jordan was awesome that was that's what i want to see out of our alumni i've i've always said that it, it like we see the older guys, right? We see the high marks. We see the, the Roland Grays, by the way, shout out Roland Gray for hanging out with me yesterday. Um, uh, we see those guys around the program, the Bonners, all those guys show up at games. We don't get to see, you know, the younger guys as much. And I love to see their, that passion come out of these guys that, that played for the school and, um, and represent the Billikens.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I mean, a lot of people from Jets generation and younger, uh, I mean, they're all over the world. It's a lot of them are still playing. That's true. Um, you know, the, the who, who knows where a lot of them are. Um, well, I mean, I'm sure we could figure it out. But I guess my point <laughs> is they're pretty spread out and not all of them are able to to you know to be around as much. So I, I I definitely understand the older guys who are retired, who have resettled in St. Louis and are, you know, working there professionally and everything. Um but to see that, especially from somebody like Jet, who's, you know, he's from St. Paul, you know, he's not from St. Louis. He's not necessarily going to be around the city all the time. To see him really getting into it for Slew, really supporting this team, tweeting back and forth with our players before and after the game, and then being like, I hate Dayton anyway. And he even, <laughs> he even had some back and forth with some of the Dayton fans and, media types after the game it was it was great i'm you're exactly right zach i love to see that like put into this sort of rivalry situation for first we haven't had nearly as, enough of that
0: uh, well i think what what was it what happened earlier in the season that i thought like it was good that uh, it happened but i think ford oh it was the lacina triore dance right oh <laughs> so but this is the kind of stuff that gets you gets fans to come back. Yeah. I mean, that like everybody's walked away from that game. I I would say 80% of the people that went to that game in Billiken blue and white walked away from that game. Not talking about the final score. Oh yeah. Not talking about Yuri Collins, not talking about Nesbitt, not talking about a Coral Linson. Nobody on the floor. They talked about Jordan jet And they yeah. talked about that incident. That incident lit up that crowd lit up that arena and that's going to get people to come back that is yeah. what's exciting and and that's that hard edge that i'm talking about that that kind of like that that just, just like the jerks of the a10 man like and, they, and i, I want to be going, that
1: and that's where i was going earlier zach when i mentioned the couple key moments that really reignited this rivalry that's clearly one i mentioned the the jalen crutcher shot you know it's not necessarily about the scores or the outcomes of each of these games. It's what happens in between and the behind the scenes uh, and the interventions between the players that make this rivalry, what it truly is, because, you know, no rivalry is exciting. If you're just going back and forth with wins and losses, it's it's about, you know, what the fans get to witness in between, uh, you know, the shot clock, so to say.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, uh, you know, I went to the the Dayton game at Dayton, right before the pandemic started, you know, back in February of 2020, whatever. And my my three buddies who went with me, we talk a lot more about everything that happened around that game than we do about the game itself, you know, because that was, that was like the last time we all got together before the pandemic, we went out, had a wild night, everything like that. I mean, it's 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 exciting to think that there's a lot more slew fans who've been hungry for that kind of thing or even more casual fans from just around st louis or wherever who now are like well that game is appointment viewing every year we got to go to that game and not only that maybe i take my kids to more games throughout the year maybe i'll finally this is maybe next season's the one where i get season tickets um everybody got their money's worth and then some in that crowd
0: this has to be the first uh, incident of shenanigans actual true incident of shenanigans that will be listed on Blackburn reviews, abridged history of the arch baron cup. Like every, like the, the, like you could like, he couldn't write a story. Like he couldn't write this. Like he couldn't, well, if he wanted to, he's not interest- that, he's not that creative. And he wrote that whole thing, created this whole rivalry. Well, the and interesting thing is going
2: to be uh, the spin that's put on that though, because like, we went from Dayton games right after the game saying like up in our mentions saying you should you should be ashamed of your former player that's a 30 year old man shoving 18 year olds uh, he should be banned from the arena for life i'm going to harass the university president and the a10 commissioner if they don't and they they go from that to, to to maybe realizing there's nothing to kick him out of the arena for they only did it to you know like you said a peace grant um, so I do wonder, like, is this like kind of a, a Rashomon situation, depending on your uh your point of view as a fan, maybe you have a much different telling of that uh, that chapter.
1: And then they and then they take to Wikipedia to totally sabotage oh. George R.R. Jet's Wikipedia page. Like it's just so immature.
2: Oh, it was so badly <laughs> written too. It was just like you could just see it in a huff, like I'll,
0: <laughs> I'll show them. <laughs> uh, um No, I, I I loved it, man. It's, it's, it's the best, uh, it's the best thing to happen in Chaffetz in in a long time It was the most entertaining thing to happen in Chaffetz in a long time. And and that's a, that's a building that, that gets a lot of events. Um, I, I just, that that's, that that's our like crosstown shootout. Like that's our zip them up right there. That's, that's that flashpoint that where, uh, you know, like I said, a fake rivalry turns into a real rivalry. And um, I mean, it's, it was so cool. It it was, it was so cool. You couldn't have written it any better than that.
1: And I'll tell you next time I'm at a game, if I've got open seats, the first person I'm inviting to sit courtside with me is Jordi or Jet.
0: i love it that's
1: yeah it. sorry zach i know
0: you've been asking for a while i know i know i got it i have not the facts like yeah that's fair that's fair that's, that's fair, fair. Yeah. No, but that's yeah
2: fair. put put him on the uh
0: on the screen too and uh and fans are gonna light up to see him again oh my god he i i yeah i mean he's gotta no i think uh the dayton game next year he has to be sitting center court with you has to
1: well, we might even have to if we if we meet Dayton in the A10 tournament, somebody might have to fly him out there. I mean, he's like a centerpiece oh, yeah. at this point.
0: Yeah. That 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 it's it's gosh. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I Jordair Jet's uh he if he wasn't a true Billiken legend already, he is now. Um and, and that was just uh, just an unbelievable performance uh, all the way around from Billiken Nation in general and uh um I, I, I that was just a, a great time. It really was, and, and
1: what and what a position it puts us in. I mean, you you saw the rankings start to shift after that game. We're now, I, I mean, ranking wise, number two in the conference. I mean, if you ask me, top to bottom, I think we're the best team in the conference. I think we'll find out in a couple of weeks when we go head to head with Davidson. Um, but that was a key matchup. I mean, it, it really puts us in position to. I would argue we're clearly on the bubble at this point. We control our own destiny. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're in a position where win and we're in. Um, and that game was a critical piece to that equation.
2: Yeah, it really was. We've spent the last few weeks playing the bottom half uh, teams. You know, UMass a couple times, George Washington. We've had a lot of games against teams that were supposed to be right. We didn't win all of them. We lost that first one at UMass, um, one that got away. Uh, but but now we've got uh, we're, we're looking ahead at at VCU at Davidson. We've got some really serious. Games coming up here to kind of see where we stand, um, and, and I, I, yeah, I like this team a lot. I like the way we played defense in that game. There's a lot of reasons to think um, that we're going to compete for this title. Um, you know, possibly even this regular season title from from Davidson.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a fun game. We're going to definitely have to clean up our three point defense because uh, Davidson mm-hmm. shoots the lights out of the ball at a uh, an incredibly efficient clip. Um, just going to hit around the a ten. Um, Tuesday, Richmond beat Duquesne, 74, 57, um, Davidson, 81, Bonaventure, 76, uh, Wednesday GW beats LaSalle, 89, 87, uh, Fordham beats Rhode Island, 61, 55 Dayton, uh, crushes VCU by 30, 82, 52. And did, did this one give you guys a little pause? I mean, going into the Dayton game, I was way overconfident um i had this like insane confidence uh what did what did you guys think was did this make you nervous
2: oh absolutely yeah i saw this result and was like are are these guys starting to click because it's always been they're super young they're like almost all um first or second year players uh but if they're starting to click man look out i mean that's a team that's going to be hard to beat down the stretch um but again the up and down play continues so I, I just, uh, I guess, uh, you know, they haven't been able to be as consistent yet as, as I think they'd like to be um, the talent is certainly there to beat anybody on any night though. So yeah, that, that, that one had me really nervous because VCU just does not let up that many points.
1: Yeah. And the, and the timing of it was, um, was interesting as well because we came off that double, double overtime win. And I remember being in Carter's spaces and we were chatting about the game right after as I was watching Dayton, you know, wrap up a nearly 30-point victory at VCU, uh, and and you mentioned Pete, VCU doesn't give up losses like that, let alone you know at their own arena. I mean, that that does not happen. Um, and and the commentators on CBS Sports after were were mentioning that as well. And so a swing of emotions coming off of that Mason win, thinking, wow, you know, we're hot, feeling confident going into the Dayton game, and then watching them just absolutely pulverize VCU. Uh, was a little bit of a gut check on the emotions there.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it yeah, it, it was. And uh, I was worried about the double overtime versus you know a thirty point win. You get to rest your guys a little bit, so I was a little worried about that. But uh, the Billikens carried on the the momentum through to this game and 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 just beat Dayton. Um, Richmond beats Bonaventure on Friday night in one of the most disjointed basketball games I've ever watched. Uh, 71, 61, uh, Saturday, St. Joe's beats Fordham, 72, 69. UMass beats Rhode Island, 78, 67. LaSalle 83, Mason 78, Davidson 78, GW 73. And finally VCU 71, Duquesne 62. And as Ross, you mentioned, SLU is now in second. Uh, behind Davidson, VCU, and Dayton, both 7-3 Richmond in 5th at 6-4. and four. Uh, How excited, for before we let you go, Ross, how excited are you about this stretch run and uh, and, and, and the prospects of this team, you know, potentially making an NCAA tournament without an All-American?
1: Very excited. I mean, the fact that we are where we are without Javante Perkins is a testament to... Um, the mentality that Travis Ford has been able to instill in the team. Um, You know, we're at an interesting point in the season where we're starting to, to, to trickle up on March. And I think as we've seen, this is when Travis Ford's teams really begin to evolve. And it feels like over the last couple of years, there's been a key loss that's occurred every year on the back end of January or early February that has really triggered a locked in mentality for the billikens this year it was obviously the umass loss the q3 loss at umass but they've really righted the ship i mean i think we're firing all on all cylinders we've got a diverse set of scorers at this point i'm very excited i think we're in position to to um make a run here and potentially end up in the ncaa tournament but You know, I'm equally nervous. And so I say that with a bit of reality, you know, we got a tough stretch coming up. We got obviously LaSalle this week, but then we go home and home with St. Bonaventure, who I think was picked to win the conference. You know, they had our number last year in the A-10 tournament, not an easy team to beat. So they can't be overlooked. And then VCU and then Davidson. So we got a tough run here. Um, I'm excited about where we're at, um, but I think the next couple games will be pretty telling here. I think if we can go into the A-10 tournament, in a top four position in a double by position, I'll be confident. Um, I'd love to see that Dayton slew rematch, uh, but I like where we're at. I think we're in a really good position. Uh, I think the guys are locked in mentally and I, I think we got a shot at, at making a run through the rest of the season here. I really do.
0: Yeah, I am I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Ross uh, always great catching up with you, man. Uh, and we'll see you soon at Chaffetz and uh, you know, it, it's going to be a hell of a run. Buckle up. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Pete. Good to be with you guys. See you, Russ.
0: Take it easy, buddy. Yeah, as as Ross mentioned there, uh, we've got LaSalle and Bonaventure coming up. It's kind of a tale of two different teams here. Uh, LaSalle, who is, I mean, just awful. Really, truly bad. Um, And then Bonaventure, who is up and down? And I think Bonaventure is one of those games that's going to be a lot like Mason. Uh, it's going to be attrition. And I think, uh, you know, we're starting to see Bonaventure wear down a little bit, uh, especially with that short bench that Mark uh, Schmidt likes to run.
2: Yeah, which is basically no bench. You know, he would, he would play his starters 40 minutes a game if, uh, if, if he could. Um, and it seems to be wearing him down. They're 4-4 four four in conference now, a conference that they were supposed to run away with. Um, easily the, the, the consensus pick both inside and out uh, of the conference coming into this season. So um, obviously they had a, a disappointing non-conference uh, but that's, that's happening conference too. And they're coming off uh, two straight losses this week. So uh, this team looks vulnerable. They look a little worn out, um, which, which isn't totally surprising given how much these guys have played over the past few years, but, um, I would like to think that uh, that we can take care of business at home. Uh, you know, Bonaventure is always a tricky place to play. Um, but the, the back-to-back nature of these games, which is happening because of uh, postponement from early in the season, that, that game at Bonaventure, I think was supposed to be our second conference game. Um, and now it's been kind of stuffed into a, a week and we've shuffled some things around to make it happen. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see them twice in a row, but first things first, we got to win at LaSalle. I think the last time we played there was just two games ago where uh, we won by one and we needed, we needed, it. Uh, it came down to kind of the last seconds. And uh, we, we, this is a team we have to beat on the, I know it's on the road, but we've got to go into Gola arena and beat these guys by double digits. There's, there's no excuse. Otherwise, um, like you said, they're just not good. So, uh, so we'll see how that goes Tuesday night, but um, it'd be, it'd be good to get a, a win there come home and, and be ready for bonaventure because um as much of a the struggle they've had this season they've, they've they're a good team
0: uh swimming gifts only uh on tuesday night yeah that works yeah, for me for, for the for, me. for the for the Gola swimming pool <laughs> that's um, right we'll have we'll have some fun with it yeah no i need to i need to catch a game up uh, up at gola so I, I can check out the pool get a workout in and then uh go check out the game later uh, it's it's a win-win for me i think
2: wear your trunks under your pants you know uh they, yes they, i'll wear towels. the jammers yeah, yeah absolutely. You, could, you could pay extra for your game ticket uh for towel service and oh, okay. uh and a locker
0: do they have like when you go into like that the like the club where like the guy that has like the colognes yeah like at the at uh <laughs> do they have that guy the valet the bathroom valet they I do love, but they,
2: they also have that little machine where you put your trunks in to kind of dry them out. So I, I, that,
0: that. That, that's that machine is that's, that's a miracle of modern day machinery. It really, really is. is. I don't know how it works. Still haven't figured that out. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm excited, uh, for this week. Uh, it, it's going to be a fun week. I'm really not excited about that 4 PM bottom venture game Monday, uh, of next week. That's going to stink
2: yeah it's a weird game time i don't know why necessarily it had to be that time um
0: i looked i thought it might have been a holiday but it's not
2: it's well it's valentine's day (laughs) it's not a real holiday some
0: of us might consider that the anti-holiday yeah
2: i've never uh i've as to as much to the extent that I have, uh, have been able to, I don't really celebrate it. Luckily, my wife's birthday is two days before it. So I've always been able to kind of uh, get around it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's there's no reason that it, um, <clears throat> it, you know, there's no holiday or any reason it should be like that. I'm sure there's some kind of travel reason or something for it. This was supposed to be an open week for a lot of A-10 teams. Right. And instead, a bunch of postponements have been shoved into it, um, including our game from LaSalle that was originally supposed to be on the 5th. Um, And then it was supposed to be the day before on the 15th. So we are, we are playing. I mean, we are getting into next week, but we're playing on the 14th and 16th, which is a little awkward. So uh, good news for fans is we've got a lot of games in a short amount of time coming up here, five in the next 11 uh, days, six in the next 14. So uh, basically every third day, we're going to be playing here.
0: At the risk of being a jinx, it's really starting to feel like, like, like reality again, like basket, like this. You you can count on the games being played, like yeah. you know, at the risk of not jinxing it. I may well, cut this out. I may cut this out of the episode. <laughs> now that I'm saying it,
2: I think I I honestly think for this season, I think we we should be in pretty good shape. That that variant worked its way through college basketball pretty hard there uh in late December and early January, and I think I think we're through it now. Personally, yeah uh, I, I I hope so.
0: Um, on the women's side, tough week for uh, the Billikens, uh, 60-52 loss at Rhode Island. Uh, this is one where the Billikens looked really nice for three quarters. Uh, unfortunately, the three quarters weren't in a row, and the second quarter did them in. Uh, 21-8, I believe, was the the difference in that second quarter, and, and that's the all the, the spread that Rhode Island needed uh, to win this one.
2: Yeah, so that was so. I think this the score you're calling out. That's actually the next one, the UMass game. Oh um, yeah, you're the right. Th- the theme of this week is they play a really competitive game, uh, and but just happen to have a, you know get blown out in the second quarter. That it's been the same pattern uh, both times. This one uh, held Rhode Island to thirteen. I guess is the the good news, but only yes. scored seven. Uh, just a just a horrible shooting second quarter. I think Slew went three for fourteen from the field uh 1 of 5 from 3 and and you're not going to be able to stay in many games with a quarter like that. Um big mountain to climb and and they just didn't have enough in the second half uh unfortunately in this one.
0: Yeah, I really liked their game again for most of the the time, you know, um uh, we looked really competitive against a very very strong Rhode Island team. I mean, uh this yeah. is a Rhode Island team competing for a bid uh yes. to the, and for one of the few times this women's basketball uh conference could get more than one team they're generally a one-bid league
2: yeah uh, and that's the important context here is is this wasn't just some team rhode island is 17 and three and they're still undefeated seven and zero in the a10 actually uh probably let me i'm looking at this right now eight and zero now uh because they did win over the weekend as well but went to seven and zero with this one very good team and it makes you realize like how close slew is and how devastating still it the injury yeah that's right how devastating the injuries have been um the, the they aren't getting blown out every night they're they're competing they're just coming up a little bit short you know and uh it's frustrating i know for them and uh definitely feel bad um but again it's you know just kind of the same story in this one
0: yeah and, and like we said it's it, the story of the week is that second quarter um, But Flowers had a nice game. 16 points, 8 of 12 shooting. Uh, Not terribly efficient, but she played well. Um, But the the next game, 69-66 loss at UMass. Um, Just a brutal loss. I mean, not not that it was a bad team they played. Just another brutal way to lose a game. uh, Having a terrible second quarter, uh, like I alluded to. 21-9 was the uh the difference in that second quarter otherwise the Billikans 23 16 Billikins in the first quarter 15 11 Billikins in the third quarter and 21 19 Massachusetts in the fourth. So I mean, yeah you know, again second quarter sinks them
2: it, and it was really anybody's game in the fourth mm-hmm. too this one went back and forth um and and again it, it's again a point that UMass is 17 and five. they're a really good team five and three in the a10. Um, so this isn't just happening against the middle of the conference. Um, and th- this was a great scoring game for Kaija Harbison, 27 points on 11 to 21 from the field slew shot really well from three, which is something they haven't done a lot this season. Uh, 50% from three in this game. Um, didn't go very deep in the bench in this one. And um, I think you had mentioned that Kylie Bess um, got hurt in that Rhode Island game and we didn't see her in this one. Uh, against umass so uh it 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 does make you wonder with this team this close now another player going down um it's it's what would this team be like without these injuries i I feel like they'd be right in the mix
0: yeah i agree it's 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 a bummer and uh i really hope uh i'm excited for next season because i think there's there's some potential here um for sure um this week another tough uh well t- uh you know, kinda like uh the men. The men's week. They've got Dayton who's nine and oh, Davidson who's three and seven at home on the ninth and the twelfth. Uh Dayton obviously always tough, uh, but it's always competitive game. And Davidson is kind of uh dregs of the A ten. Um Yeah, no. Um it's going to be a tough, tough week for them, I think.
2: Yeah, it is. You know, uh, Day- Dayton's been the class of a conference for a while, and uh, and they're 9-0. and But if we can play two good teams like Rhode, Rhode Island and UMass like that, you know, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe you hang in there. Both of these games are at home. Davidson's one that uh, that they might be able to grab. Davidson's the yep. bottom half team. Um, but, uh, you know, got to play the games.
0: Uh, one more thing before we get off of basketball, uh, because we love to cover merchandise on this podcast, uh, the jerseys, they're finally here and, uh, it, I, I'm not going to say it was worth the wait, but they knocked these out of the park. Peter, uh, I couldn't be happier. As you can see, I got the white one up here. I'm wearing the blue one. It's not an ad. We're not being paid. They're, they're good. They're very nice quality. I mean, they're Nike, so you know it's not going to be terrible. Um, but and they're yeah, in the, they're I love in the, the team shop in the arena. Yes, they're at okay. Rally House as well too, okay. the, the which is different. Ones. Yeah, which is different. Like that's that's that was something I did not expect. So I was pleasantly surprised. I actually walked in a Rally House to get the gray hat because I wanted to to go full on uh, not not Colonel Sanders and the chicken. But uh, I wanted to, to be, you know, for the blizzard. I wanted, you know, gray goes with the gray jeans with the white. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but, blue yeah, I, you know, we went into Rally House. I I almost missed them, too. I almost missed the jersey. They're staring me right in the face. And, uh, yeah, the blue one. They're $75 at Rally House, 79 at the arena. Wasn't too happy about spending the extra five. But, uh, you know, uh, they only had blue at Rally House, though, so. Uh, But yeah, super, super happy. Uh, Well done all around for the athletic department on this one. And I think the one thing we have left is the nineteen nine shorts.
2: Yeah, and hopefully those will come uh, sooner than later. They might have a couple other partnerships in the works long term, but uh, but that that's the one that I think has been announced for now.
0: I think they Uh, were working on Peter Millar.
2: Yeah, and it didn't.
0: Something didn't. Something went awry with that one. It just didn't work out. I think.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if it's it's dead, dead, or if it's just going to be a while. Who knows?
0: Yeah, no. So shout out to whoever put this together. I, I cannot remember who exactly. Uh, I know I know, uh, Brent, I think Brent Gallagher did the home field deal. I don't know if he did this one, but shout out to them. Um, and, and just shout out to the athletic department uh, in general. Um, they're just, uh, you know, for the times I am critical of things that could go on in the They are just, it's, it's a wonderful, uh, group of people, uh, just on a, on a, on a personal level, um, just always been, uh, you know, just, just, it's, it's a good group over there and that they, they deserve credit for just, you know, how they do things. And, and, uh, when, you know, the way they treat, you know, longtime season ticket holders. So, um, yeah, moving on to track and field, uh, Pete. Tell us about uh, what, what Track and Field's been up to.
2: Yeah, the men and women both competed at the uh, Mayo Invitational up at Notre Dame this weekend. Tons of schools were there. Uh, really high-level competitive event. Um, again, this one, I think it was the third event in a row for them that's just an individually scored event, not a team scored event. So we can't say SLU came in 12th place or whatever uh, because who knows. Um, but uh, but a, lo- a lot of Billikens turned in personal bests at the meet. Um, I don't think anybody won events necessarily, but, uh, if you're in- interested, check out the results on, uh, slewbillikins.com. Um, just a really good effort, uh, a- effort there for them. And then, uh, men's and women's tennis were supposed to go this weekend. Both of them, uh, the men were on the road out in Indiana, uh, at Purdue. And I think Valpo, the women were supposed to play Humsl at home. Both were canceled. So, um, don't know if that was weather related or, or, or something else, but, uh, they 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 should or i guess i should say they are they're marked as postponed so maybe those will be rescheduled um but that's that's really it for your uh olympic sports for the week
0: yeah well, speaking of olympics uh it's a it's a apt uh it's it's very uh um, what, do you, what do you call that um current reference um no and if you if you really want to follow track and field john bell on twitter uh, is a great follow i think it's jbell30 um, I don't have it in front of me. Sorry, John. Um, he's always tweeting results. So uh, go check him out on Twitter. Um, but that wraps up the week that was in Billiken athletics. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Midtown mad at Peter is a tweeter at Zag Miller MMP. Uh, thank you to Ross Chaffetz for coming on the podcast. Um, also shout out the Pitlick brothers, Brad and Eric for hosting a, 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 a freezing tailgate. Uh, my hands are still not yet thawed. Um, I forgot gloves on that one. Um, we also appreciate again, any and all suggestions, uh, you might have for the show. So tweet us, message us, whatever. Um, please go and subscribe to the show on all platforms. If you haven't left us a review, don't be afraid to drop us five stars and, uh, leave a comment Uh, as always, Peter go bills. Go bills